to the news on RTHK. Thousands of supporters of the recently defeated former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, have stormed the country's National Congress in Brasilia. Demonstrators wrapped in the national flag quickly overwhelmed police and entered the complex in scenes reminiscent of the attack on the U.S. Capitol in Washington. Carlos de Souza is politics editor at the newspaper Correo Brasiliense. He's in Brasilia. It's a very disturbing situation, a very worrying situation, because uh, it seems that uh, authorities from Brasilia, I mean the, the local authorities, not the federal ones, they have lost control of the situation. Uh, we have a crowd of people who are there in the general quarter from the army uh, for weeks since the Brazilian election. And now today, this, this Sunday, they decided to go to the Congress. Protests are reported to have taken place in Iran against the publication in a French satirical magazine of cartoons lampooning the country's supreme leader. The Charlie Hebdo magazine recently launched a competition calling for readers to submit cartoons ridiculing Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Ukraine had dismissed as Russian propaganda Moscow's claims to have destroyed a dormitory housing Ukrainian troops in the eastern city of Kramatorsk, killing hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers. Moscow said it hit the target with a barrage of rocket fire as revenge for a strike on a Russian barracks in eastern Ukraine last week. A Reuters journalist who visited the dormitory named by the Russian Defense Ministry said there was some damage to buildings, but no sign that Ukrainian soldiers had been staying there. The Reuters reporter also spoke to this woman at the scene. At around midnight there was an impact. You see what happened. Look, I live in that house over there, and all the windows were blown out, all of them. And that's the news from RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Money Talk. Good morning. It's 8.05 in Hong Kong. I'm Andrew Work, and this is Money Talk. I started the new year last week on a bit of a downer, but oh, baby, the markets are back. Expectations about interest rates energized animal spirits, and the markets loved it Friday. We've talked a lot on the show about how good news is bad news and vice versa. Strong job numbers have previously tanked markets as traders expected the Fed to raise interest rates in their wake. But the same traders on Friday were happier with weaker than expected wage growth. They think that will cause the Fed to think it is closer to getting inflation under control and so it will slow down on raising interest rates. Likewise, in Europe, inflation numbers showed that inflation had dipped under November's 10% to only 9.2% in December. Only, I know. Not great, but an improvement and the markets liked it. In local news, analysis showed that the MPF had lost the average Hong Kong MPF holder almost $41,000 in 2022. Average losses across the 412 funds held by 4.6 million Hong Kongers were 15.7%. And don't even get me started on the fees. Mandatory, huh? One big market winner uh, last Friday was the WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, with a big elbow from the top rope. Founder and majority owner Vince McMahon has rejoined the board, leading to a 21% jump in share price as the move is expected to presage a sale of the company to a major media player like Disney, Fox, Comcast, Netflix, Formula One owner Liberty Media. The list of potential buyers is long. 
Mr. McMullen's presence on the board is seen as vital to ensuring a smooth sale as he is still the majority owners. Sources say J.P. Morgan is advising on the sale. I would advise a sale to Disney so we could have Darth Vader versus the Hulk in the main ring. Uh, and more serious news on today's Money Talk. We've got a killer tag team of Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. And he's going to be joined by Andrew Sullivan, manage, managing director of Outset Global. On the second part of the show, we welcome into the ring Ben Cavender, managing director, China Market Research, to talk about what else? China. Tell us what you think of the market rebound uh, by sending us an email, moneytalk at rthk.hk. Or make yourself heard on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweet at us with our handle, at Money Talk Radio 3. I'm the king of the cage match, and we're delivering a double suplex to the market news. This is Money Talk. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Monday morning, I'm calling it Money Day morning. New data at the end of last week led market players to believe that inflation was slowing down and this could lead the Fed to slow down on rate rises. This is like rocket fuel for the markets. The Dow Jones was up over 2.1%, the S&P better at 2.3%, and the Nasdaq closed up, closed over 10,500, up over 2.6%. Everyone finished the week on the up and up. Job growth beat targets, but wages were more constrained, rising only 0.3%. Uh, specific companies, Biogen was a big winner with their Alzheimer's drug getting approval from the FDA. They finished up more than 5.2% after a brief halt in trading. But the party is over for Party City, whose shares are down 97% on reports that bankruptcy is imminent. The S&P TSX in Toronto was up 1.6% with energy leading the way and jobs numbers far exceeding expectations. In Europe, the stock 600 finished up 1.1% on the day, 3.4% on the week. Basic resources were up, were tops, up 2.5%, but all sectors benefited from news that inflation is slowing in the Eurozone. It's still high at 9.2%, but declined from November. The FTSE 100 closed up 0.9%, the DAX is up 1.2%, and the Italian FTSE Man in Black and the CAC were up over 1.4%. In the Asia, Indo, down under Pacific, all bourses were up for one. But for one hours in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index somehow managed to finish down 0.29% uh, on Friday. But hopefully, the Good Friday vibes will hold as the Hang Seng Futures Index is showing a 325-point gain, a 1.5% rise, if that happens. The Shanghai Comp finished up just above even Stephen, and the Nikkei 225 was up 0.6%, just a bit less than the ASX 200's 0.65%. The cracking Cosby was up 1.2%. Uh, oil, Brent crude was up a tiny bit, and natural gas was up 1.1%. Oil was down 8% of the week after a decent three-week run that saw it up 13%. Uh, Brent's currently around $78.57 a barrel right now. Metals were up with palladium leading the way, up 4.4%. Platinum was up 3.25%, and silver and copper were up 24 and 2.7%, respectively. Spot gold was up a relatively modest 1.6% uh, uh, on closing, but it still hit a seven-month high over $1,867 an ounce. Bond yields fell across the board with the exception of the Japanese 10-year bond. Looking at money, where is it going? The euro and the British pound were big gainers, rising up over 1% and 1.5% against the U.S. dollar. The yuan, yen, Aussie, and Sing dollars all picked up on the greenback. 
Having a look at the markets that are open today, uh, Nikkei is already trending upwards, as is the Australian Stock Exchange. Uh, Bitcoin is up 1.14%, and Ethereum is up 1.8%. So things are looking good out there after a big day. And that are your those are your markets for today. And we're back on the show, and we've got our guests with us. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the show this morning, Alex Wong, Director, Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Good morning, Alex. Hey, morning. Hey, great to have you on. And once again, uh, can't get enough of the Andrews. Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director, Outset Global. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thank you. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, you know, after a not-so-great week, uh, Friday, things were looking pretty good. Now, is this something that we should take heart from, or, or is this a dead cat bounce? What do you think? Well, I think it's still too early to call. Uh, right now, I think the market is a little bit bullish uh, because uh, we treated the news uh, quite positively, uh, just judging on the wave over effect number. But I think uh, we are entering into the earnings seasons, and uh, that would be the key for the U.S. Uh, market. So uh, it's a little bit too early to call for a reversal in the, of the recent weakness, especially in the tech sector. So very likely we would see uh, choppy trading ahead in, in the U.S. In Hong Kong, I think uh, we probably uh, would, would face some resistance soon because if you look at the Friday actions, actually, we are seeing some uh, weakening of certain sectors in Hong Kong. So we are seeing some profit taking after the huge rise in Hong Kong. So very likely we are seeing some consolidation phase in Hong Kong as well. Mm, so, yeah, Andrew? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of people just playing catch up. People had been underweight China for a long time um, because most people weren't expecting the reopening until probably the middle of the year. Um, and had, hence had been sitting on the sidelines. So that probably explains the, the initial wave that we've seen, short covering, people covering underweight positions. But now they'll just have to wait and watch to see you know, how this COVID wave really impacts the economy. Mm. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that a lot for sure in the second part of the show. But I mean, um, so, so what I'm hearing from you guys is that you're not seeing this as a, as a sustainable this is not setting off a trend of like a week of uh, a week of rising markets is this uh, is there other data that you're looking for well, i think for the us probably we would be very dependent on individual companies earnings number so we probably may see polarized actions across sectors so uh, i think we probably will still see uh, some strength in uh, in in those companies which are related to china like Disney or Nike or Starbucks, I think they, they probably would remain strong. But uh, uh, for tech, tech companies, I think people would be cautious because uh, they have been hit hard uh, during the recent uh, decline, especially Microsoft. So people would be very sensitive to individual companies' earnings number. So uh, we would see choppy trading in the U.S. So we probably will not be a very smooth rise uh, uh, over there. Yeah, I think we've got, you know, we've got US inflation data, we've got European industrial production data. Um, in China, we're looking at inflation data and, and the potential for the uh, the loans data. And, and that will be interesting because, you know, historically, the SOE banks tend to front lend their lending. The question really is whether industry in China wants to borrow the money, whether they can see something to use it for. I've been trying to figure out this dynamic, you know, and Alex, you raises the, you know, should we be more focused on earnings or on the macro factors right now? And you know, is that different for different markets? You know, I mean, is it, is it macro more is important for U.S. and Europe right now, whereas China, uh, individual companies, where, where do you see that playing out? 
I think you've got to look at both, to be honest with you. I mean, no. as Alex was saying, the earnings are going to be important. Uh, people are going to see whether those are, are bound to continue the impact of inflation so far and the impact of you know, the Fed's policy. Um, but equally, you know, there's a lot of local traits. Mm-hmm. Alex, what do you think? Oh, I think, of course, both are important. Um, for Hong Kong, very likely uh, we have already seen the initial huge rise, so uh, we probably will enter in, into consolidation phase. And I think uh, the macro actually is a bit digested in Hong Kong, So, uh, um, but people probably would play on um, certain macro themes like consumption. So uh, I think the macro, macro factors actually would, uh, would be reflected on the selections of certain sectors. Yeah, and which sectors are those? I mean, right now, of course, the big story over the next few days is going to be the opening up of China, um, both for what it means for China, but, you know, and what it means for Hong Kong locally. Um, so where, where, you know, which sectors are you focusing on for the for upside? In the- if you're judging on the macro changes, I think, uh, first of all, probably um, Hong Kong properties would, would benefit a little bit because uh, uh, they are more interest rate sensitive in Hong Kong here and they have been lagging behind. They would uh, probably benefit on the reopening. So, uh a little bit catch up can be seen in the Hong Kong public sectors and, and even Hong Kong local banks. And then probably we would see some recovery in the, in the, in the industrial sectors as well. We have been hit hard uh, recently because of the um, concern on the U.S. economy. So they probably had, would see some relief. Uh, and certain uh, Chinese property names as well, I think. But uh, I would be a little bit cautious on the internet names. They, they have been seeing some um, retreat uh, led by Meituan last Friday. So probably they would be seeing some resistance. Yeah. Do you think the uh, do you think some of the measures the Chinese government has announced for the property sector are they are they actually going to have an impact or is that or is it or is it going to take a long is, is the market going to have to fundamentally correct outside of government action? I think uh, in the long run, probably the property sector may not be easy to recover uh, fully. But uh, certain names like those uh, uh, state-owned enterprises, I think, would benefit a lot from the uh, expected industrial con- industrial consolidation. So uh, very likely we would see uh, strength on the on the big names in the property sectors in in China. I think the the big problem in China is the fact that a lot of you know a lot of the population have been caught out. They've paid for properties. They're paying mortgages on on units that aren't complete. So you know the confidence has gone. Uh, and the model will probably change to people wanting to only buy completed units. Uh, and that's going to cause a, a long problem. And, and the reality is that the government doesn't have enough money to bail out the sector. So it's hoping that the stronger developers can come to the aid of the smaller ones and will seek into- consolidation. Hmm. And I mean, if, if, a little bit of caution about the Chinese market could turn into um, a lot of confidence in maybe buying in Hong Kong as an alternative. Yeah, that's always the, always the potential. And of course, we, we we have got news. I mean, we've been waiting for Evergrande to 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 uh, announce its restructuring. They're supposed to be meeting the offshore bondholders this week. Um, if something positive comes from that, then that could be helpful to the sector. Hmm. Okay. Uh, look, looking across, uh, do you guys have any particularly strong positions on what's happening in, in either Europe or the United States right now? Well, I think, as Alex said earlier, I mean, the U.S. is going to be very much driven by the earnings season that kicks off this week. Um, and also, you know, there's a general trend that, you know, people are expecting the, the Fed to, uh, you know, they, they listen to the story that the Fed will keep rates higher for longer, but may, maybe not really believe that. But, you know, I think Powell in the past has demonstrated that he tends to follow through. 
in Europe you've still got energy concerns and economic challenges, so that's going to you know, possibly uh, be a deterrent there. So I think probably a lot of investors are still on a risk-reward basis, still looking at the U.S. as being one of the safer, safer plays. I mean, the currency didn't reflect that over the last couple of days, but I mean, that could be, you know, that could be just a bump in the market. Have you, have you got positions on different currencies and, and where the U.S. dollar is going? I think uh, people are expecting U.S. dollar to ease further. Uh, we are seeing some changes in the in inflation expectations, and the and the U.S. bond actually has been quite strong. So uh, we are seeing some. Um, uh, 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 we trade in the U.S. dollar. I think that would probably would continue because uh, with uh, China reopening, uh, probably the renminbi would lead the uh, uh, weakness in the U.S. dollar as well. Mm. And you've also got the moves in the Japanese yen with the BOJ making changes there on its yield uh, curve control and, and also a change of the governor. That's going to make another influence there. Mm. And, I, and I mean, in particular, the, you know, the U.S.-Euro relationship so important and... and uh, Christine Lagarde, I mean, you know, people were happy on Friday for one day because, you know, numbers came out that, uh, you know, inflation had dropped from 10 and changed to 9.2%. Um, that's still really high. And Christine Lagarde, you know, towards the end of December was still saying, no, we've, we've got to keep, we've got to keep, uh, you know, beating inflation as hard as we, with a stick as hard as we can. Um, is that further going to weaken the US dollar against the euro if people say, okay, Powell's pretty much got things under control. Europe's got a way to go. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, uh, of course, another factor is the risk appetite. Actually, if, uh, if people will tend to be risk averse, then probably the US dollar would be, would be strong a little bit. So, um, that depends on two factors. But I think, uh, the, the interest rate differential, uh, uh, expectation actually would be, uh, would be good for the euro in the short term at least. Mm-hmm. You've, you've also got to remember that obviously for, for Europe, it's energy prices that have been a big driver there. Uh, and they've, they've brought in measures to try and stem that. But that's still going to be an overhang in the market. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, so where, where, does, where does oil fit in for you guys into your picture of where the world is going over the next few months? Well, I think, I mean, it, it's still a very flexible thing. I mean, we're going to be using oil for a long time, although there's a big push to go to green energy. It is still a major, uh, along with the coal prices and, and other resources like that. So it, it's still a driver. I mean, there's still potentially lots of production out there. I think people have been encouraged that Russia hasn't just turned the taps off. It is still supplying oil to certain countries. Uh, and that's keeping the oil price lower than maybe it otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. Alex, what's your take on oil? I think uh, just, just based on the market development, with the China reopening, actually oil failed to rebound. So that means the, 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 the market actually is quite weak. So I think uh, very likely we may see some downside risk in the oil prices. Are you, are you guys starting to discount political sanctions a little bit? I mean, you know, you know, Andrew makes the point that uh, Russia hasn't turned off the taps, but it's been able to find markets for its oil, even in natural gas, even though it's under constraints right now. Uh, you know, when China tried to tried to put the squeeze on Australia over the last couple of years, didn't really seem to matter. Is it is it becoming less and less of a factor as the as the world becomes a little more multipolar? I think for resources, yes. Um, But I think, I mean, certainly when we're looking at China and and the fact that we've seen major policy changes, uh, switches very quickly there, I think a a lot of investors' reappraisement of China and the risk, uh, more from political risk, uh, is is growing. Mm -hmm. Alex, I'll give you you the last word before we, uh, we go to an even more view from China in the second part of the show. 
Um, yeah, I think uh, of course uh, uh, people probably may be a little less concerned about that because actually the the market appetite for China actually is quite high right now because uh, of the recent reopening uh, expectations. So uh, we would be less concerned about that. All right, great. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, guys. Always a pleasure having you guys on. It's a great way to start our week on Money Talk. Uh, it's Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company, and Andrew Sullivan, managing director, Outset Global. All right, back in action here on Money Talk. Uh, and we are going to bring you now the view from mainland China. Uh, and of course, we were talking about it in the first part of the show because, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, but we're going to get even more into it with Ben Cavender, Managing Director of the China Market Research Group. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Hey, Ben. So, uh, Ben, the big story, uh, you know, I, I pulled up my, my Hong Kong uh, and China news brief this morning. And I think like out of, out of 15 stories, all but one were about the reopening with, with China and China and Hong Kong. Um, a lot of people are counting on it. I mean, given the quotas right now of people being able to go in, it seems like they're maxing them out. But when it comes time, will, will the Chinese flow in? Will they also flow out to the rest of the world? Yes, I think the first thing is it's very clear that inbound travel is increasing, not just through Hong Kong, but also through other countries as well. Um, we're seeing now as more and more flight routes are opening back up that uh, uh, you're seeing a lot more demand now for tickets coming through the end of Q1 and, and into Q2 with people wanting to get back to China for business. I think Chinese going out, it's also very clear even for, for Chinese New Year coming up, you know, just a week or a week and a half, that a lot of people are looking to travel overseas, provided that they've been able to get a passport approved. Because I think right now there's still a little bit of a bottleneck with um, – the administration not actually approving new passports or kind of making it a little bit slow. So hmm. I think we're definitely going towards opening, and it seems the case that that will continue, but it's probably going to still take a you know a month or two months or three months before things truly normalize. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, in terms of like getting to normal, like is is uh, has, there's been a constraint, I think, an in investment into China, uh, a because people couldn't go there to see the properties or inspect the businesses, do the deals, but or was it or is it more of a limiting factor that they just you know people are like things are kind of crazy there right now. I'm not, I'm you know, there, there's going to be a while before I choose to go back and start putting my money in. I mean, is that is that yeah. what's holding things up? I, I think- yeah, there are two issues. I mean, I think one is certainly just lack of eyes on the ground. And, you know, I, I think AG investors probably already have had somebody who'd look and kind of tell them what's going on. But I think the bigger issue is there was a lot of concern that the, the government was just not being clear about what policy was going to be, just in terms of COVID policy, but also in terms of economic policy. And now we're starting to get a little bit of clarity, which is, hey, let's, you know, kind of let it rip and, and open things up. And, and I think that's helped a lot just from an investor sentiment standpoint. I think there's a lot of concern that, you know, there's, there's going to be a health toll from COVID and that this, this first quarter certainly is going to be a little bit muddy in terms of reopening just because of people not being able to work due to positive cases. Um, but I think the overall sentiment is starting to shift. And I think a lot of people are saying now, well, actually China is going to come roaring back probably at least in, in the second half of the year. And so, so I think a lot of companies now are sort of repositioning their strategy a little bit. Um, depending on what industries they're in or, or what industries they're investing in. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a big story right now. Apparently, uh, orders through the ports in Shenzhen, Ningbo, Shanghai, orders are, are down 
But congestion is building at the ports because even though the factories aren't shipping things to the ports, and that hence the cancellations, but people working in the transport sector are calling in sick or getting COVID at an even higher rate, you know, so fewer orders and stuff piling up all over the ports. Yeah. I mean, how long is it going to take to work that out? I think it's going to take some time, frankly. I think if you look at logistics in China right now, it's a little bit of a mess. Because we went from closed to this sort of reopening procedure essentially overnight, what you had is a lot of the major ports, which were also some of the more population-dense areas. So, you know, looking at Shanghai, for example, virtually everybody went positive within a six-week period or so. And mm -hmm. that's had a really sort of dangerous knockdown effect on both last-mile delivery and also delivery to the ports and then delivery from the ports out of the country because they just can't staff warehouses right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we'll probably be in a much better position in a month from now. Certainly in the, the bigger markets where realistically almost everybody will have had COVID by Chinese New Year. Um, so I think things should normalize, but we're still probably looking at, yeah, at least a month before before some of that backlog can start to clear. And I mean, once, uh, you know, so, okay, so everybody gets COVID, everybody gets over COVID, you know, the, the transportation, the logistics get back online, the factories are up and running, uh, new Republican administration in the House, are, are politics going to cut the legs out from under them just as they get their operational chops back? I, I, you know, that's, that's certainly always the risk. Um, you know, I think China has tried to signal that they're a little bit more willing to play ball with the U.S. economically. Um, and, and I think the reality is on the ground in China is that the economy is hurting. Certainly at the local government level, um, coffers are empty. They, they really had to spend too much money on the, the zero COVID policy, so they really mm. would like to see trade increase. Um, I don't know that China will make heavy concessions to the U.S., but I think they're going to be much more willing to negotiate and do what they can to make sure that exports stay strong throughout the rest of the year. So. I think there could be challenges, but I think more than likely um, discussion is going to be more positive than we've maybe seen in the past. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and before we go, one of the other kind of news stories breaking, uh, Jack Ma has kind of popped up again. I don't know. He was hiding out in Japan or wherever he was for <laughs> some time now after after sure. his defenestration. Um, but he's, he's popped back up to announce that he's giving up uh, almost all control of Ant Financial. I think the, they said his holdings were going to be reduced to 6% you know, from, uh, from, you know, mid fifties. And uh, I mean, and then, and then other people would be picking up shareholding. Uh, there's some strange statements about there being effectively no boss, which is a little odd. Um, what's, what's your take on this latest twist in the, uh, Jack Ma, Alibaba and financial saga? Yeah. I mean, I think the reality is, is that behind closed doors, there are a lot of interlocking relationships in play. And so even if his you know, direct shareholdings decrease to 6%, the reality is that he'll still have quite a bit of power in terms of directing how his various businesses choose to act. But I think for all of the big Chinese tech companies, there's been a lot of pressure to no longer have kind of a, you know, cult of personality around one person or have one person appear to have too much power. That's, that's really seen as a no-no now. And so I think that Jack Ma and Financial and Alibaba, this is going to sort of be the roadmap for a lot of companies for how do we get on the right side of the government and put ourselves in a position where we can continue to grow aggressively. And I think the government also wants these companies now to be able to grow more easily just because they're such an important driver for the economy. So um, I think this is expected. I think it will be a good thing for everybody. 
All right. Sounds good. Well, that's uh, Ben Cavender, Managing Director of China Market Research Group, giving us the view from China on Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, having a quick look around the region. Nikkei up, Kospi up, ASX is up. Everybody's looking good. The Kospi is having, looks, looks to be set to have another barnstormer of a day after a great Friday. Uh, your Ethereum and Bitcoin up. And as we noted earlier, Hong Kong futures index looking good. And overnight trading on futures suggests the U.S. markets should be somewhat okay for Monday as well when they get around to opening. Uh, just so you know, the New York Fed survey of consumer expectations and consumer credit data are coming out today, America time. So keep an eye out on that. And on Money Talks tomorrow, we'll have James Wong from Lead Securities and Mark Franklin, uh, Manulife Investment Management Hong Kong to talk about it, along with our view from Japan with John Barron from the Asia Development Bank Institute. Uh, stick around. We're going to have Janice Wong and Mike Rouse uh, jazzing it up with back chat after the news. And, of course, as always, I'd like to thank my producer, uh, Christy Lai, and my man on the sound, Song Wing Ming. Quick look at your weather. Cloudy with a few rain patches. Max temperature around six, uh, 20 degrees. Moderate to fresh east with northeasterly. So, uh, yeah, maybe bring a little umbrella, but uh, be ready for some wind, too. Temperature's currently 19 degrees centigrade and 66% humidity on Money Talk. The time is 8.31, and now the news with Tom Warden. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says there's no point in imposing vaccine requirements on arrivals from the mainland, given that the border has already opened, and there will be fewer COVID infections there in about two to four weeks' time. Mainland arrivals don't need to be fully vaccinated to enter Hong Kong, unlike international arrivals. Professor Cowling also said imposing a PCR test on arrivals from the mainland just caused trouble for recovered patients. I think it's a little bit late to talk about that now because the border is just about to open and I think that the problems, if there are any, will occur very soon rather than later because the epidemic of infections in the mainland is actually coming towards the end. That In in two weeks' time, in a month's time, there will be fewer infections in the mainland than there are today. Professor Cowling from the University of Hong Kong also said the key measure to control the COVID situation was the quota. Police and firefighters say they believe a fatal blaze yesterday afternoon in Shake One was suspicious. Anna Marie Evans reports. The fire department was called to the flat at Hing Cho House on the Hing Tung estate at about half past four. Smoke could be seen billowing from the building and firefighters had to lead about 500 residents to safety. They took almost half an hour to put out the blaze. Once they got inside the flat, on the 21st floor, they found a body which could not be identified. At a media briefing, police officers and firefighters said the rapid spread of the fire indicated that it was suspicious. They said the body they found was so badly burned that they couldn't tell for sure whether the victim was male or female. Police say the resident of the flat is a single man in his 60s. The Eastern District Crime Squad is investigating. Turning overseas, thousands of supporters of the recently defeated former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, have stormed the country's National Congress in Brasilia. Demonstrators wrapped in the national flag quickly overwhelmed police and entered the complex in scenes reminiscent of the attack on the U.S. Capitol in Washington. Carlos de Souza is politics editor at the newspaper Correo Brasiliense. He's in Brasilia. 
it's a very disturbing situation, a very worrying situation, because uh, it seems that uh, authorities from Brasilia, I mean the, the local authorities, not the federal ones, they have lost control of the situation. Uh, we have a crowd of people who are there in the general quarter from the army uh, for weeks since the Brazilian election. And now, today, this, this Sunday, they decided to go to the Congress. Thousands of supporters of the recently defeated former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, have uh, stormed the country's National Congress. Sorry, that story has been read already. President Biden is in Texas for his first visit to the U.S. southern border with Mexico since taking office. He's meeting officials in El Paso for discussions about the record numbers of migrants and asylum seekers there. The president has faced criticism from border officials because of his relaxation of former President Trump's strict border policies. The Republican governor of Texas, Craig Abbott, demanded action. It just so happens he's two years and about $20 billion too late. 